Hi, my name is Pasha Marlowe, and this is the Let Pleasure Be the Measure podcast. We are going to have so much fun together. I hope that our conversations about pleasure light you up. And I hope they inspire you to reclaim your desires and create more space in your day to bring pleasure into your work, your family life, and yes, even your sex life. We will practice and explore the art of pleasure together. Let's play. Hello, everybody. Pasha Marlowe here. This is the Let Pleasure Be the Measure podcast. And I am excited today to bring in Dr. Jolie Hamilton, who is a certified sex educator on the board of ASEC and has written the book Project Relationship and has a podcast, which I adore, that she does with her husband often called Project Relationship and has written an ebook called The Pleasure Experiment. But mostly, and the reason why I'm really excited for this conversation is that like me, Jolie really likes to have conversations that freak people out and make them uncomfortable. I love that. And I always start this podcast with a little bit of a, just a vulnerable share um, to show you. I'm, I feel so safe with uh, Jolie. And I will tell you that the behind the scenes of this pleasure podcast um, doesn't look pleasurable. So five minutes before hopping on to, I, I'm running back and forth to take care of my sick little boy, sweating. I've had puke and urine on me already today and taking temperatures and doing meds and crying. Um, I've already done this. What is it? It's like, what, 10 o'clock? Like yeah, it's like 1040. <laughs> I'm like, and this is- and this is parenthood, right? And this is womanhood. And it's just real. So I just want to let all the listeners know that, yes, we talk about pleasure, but the practice of pleasure is the keeping it real and sprinkling pleasure in when you can while honoring all the big emotions and the reality of whatever circumstances are going on in your life. So what I love about Jolie, is that you too share so vulnerably in your podcast and your book, um, how you navigate the pleasure alongside and integrate it with parenting and crises and the mess behind the scenes. So welcome, Jolie. Thank, Thank you, for- you so, so much, Pasha. I, I'm so excited because I felt like you were a kindred spirit from the first second I saw anything about you. I'm like, I need to have a conversation with you. And I think having a conversation live like this, where we just like capture it means that all the magic gets captured. And I'm so with you. It's about the real, like I have seven kids. They're all teenagers. It's a mess. Uh, I've lost, I've gone through three major grief losses in the last 10 years, like huge, like all of my family of origin. And that means that if I didn't let pleasure, if I didn't bring pleasure in alongside those things, I wouldn't have any. They're, like I couldn't. It wouldn't be possible. Yes. So I'm here for that. Okay. Wow. Um, that just leads me right into my first question, which is, how do you determine if you're bringing in um, pleasure and desire from a place of 
lack and loss or a place of abundance? Oh, that is a great question. You know, the word abundance has been so like used to sell things lately so much that I think we, we've forgotten that that is, that's our birthright, that, uh, that, that feeling of abundance is, is within us. So I, and I have to keep track of this because I was raised in a scarcity mindset household. Um, Mm -hmm. I was raised by a mother with mental illness. Um, She tried her absolute best, but she was bipolar on -hmm. lithium. It was hard. So it's easy to slip into that mindset that, that it's even deeper than a mindset. It's like it, those seeds were planted very, very deeply. So for me, it takes a lot of consciousness and a lot of allowing, a lot of softening for myself because I have this really hard shell. I have this great set of armor I can put on. And in that armor, I can go do all these fun things. I can lead the life that looks super pleasurable from the outside. I can look like I am crushing it and having fun doing it. That's not the thing. The thing is actually when I take that armor off and I say, yeah, you know what? It is messy. It's hard. And you deserve this. So in order to deserve it, right, in order to come from a place of abundance, I have to take my armor off in a place where I can trust, which isn't every second of every day. I do risky things too. I find those places where I can be in a trusting space and I soften my front and I allow my heart to open. And then I take a lot of deep breaths. And from there, almost anything could be pleasurable. Mm, Right. Starting with that breath. Yeah. Yeah. Starting. And feeling safe Mm -hmm. in your own body. Oh yeah. All the things going on around you. Um, And, and then safe in your hopefully primary relationship uh, and home. And so how do you define pleasure, by the way? So I've been thinking about this a lot because pleasure can, it's so easy for people to think because I'm a sex educator that I always am thinking about pleasure as it relates to sex, (laughs) but I'm also a research psychologist and my Mm. primary area of research is actually jealousy, not a thing people tend to think about related to pleasure. But here's the thing. I actually experienced some pleasure in jealousy personally. It took a long time to realize that, but I do. So I have a much broader definition of pleasure. I yeah. think of pleasure as, as this, this experience that allows me to feel truly alive and present. That's pleasurable for me. I don't think that everybody has to share my definition. And I think that the dictionary definition of just something that feels good is is fine. It's a great place to start. But for me, something that I get a somatic experience of um, electricity or, or even fear, sometimes that is my pleasure, but I have to, I have to open to it and I have to sort those somatic sensations out. Mm -hmm. So I I like to keep this big, broad definition of, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's whatever can allow me to be present. That's where my pleasure is. That's pleasure. And you mentioned jealousy, which reminded me of the brilliant TED talk you did, which I have shared readily in my groups um, because when we start to talk about sexuality and pleasure and options such as non-monogamy, absolutely jealousy comes up. Mm -hmm. And, And I can't even remember the C word you used because it was a word I had never even heard. 
and I looked it up. I, I obviously like it's for some reason, Google, Google, my my consciousness is not allowing me to even fully understand it yet. So remind me of what the C word is, which you said was the opposite of jealousy. Yeah. So the C word, I love that you're calling it the C word. Let's keep calling it the C word. That's great. That works for me. The C word, compersion. The word is compersion, right? It's hard to remember because it sounds a lot like compassion. So, and the funniest thing happened. I was getting ready to give my TED speech and it was awesome. And I was all prepped and I went, I pulled up the proof for the, for the printing of the programs and they had misspelled it. So it was comparison. Oh no, no, that's a completely different thing. We could talk about that, but that's separate. Compersion, it's still not in your spell check. It's still going to come up wrong. It's C-O-M-P-E-R-S-I-O-N. The word compersion is such a valuable word because, and you can hear me go on about it in the TEDx, but the long and short of it, it's the feeling of joy for another people person's joy. Even if that joy excludes you, even if it's separate from you, you felt compersion before. Everybody has, you feel it when you, when you, you know, when you grant someone's wish, you feel it. When you are able to give altruistically, you feel it. And when you're able to just witness someone enjoying life. I mean, a three-year-old with an ice cream cone makes you experience compersion, right? Even if you're dairy intolerant. (laughs) (laughs) That's a brilliant analogy. Um, And you used compersion um, in this talk when talking about polyamory and non-monogamous relationships. Um, And in that really led to some deep, interesting conversations in, in the groups I lead about are, how do we know if we're ready yeah. to feel compersion um, if we choose that that path yeah. in our relationship? So I think that's that's a great place to start talking about what is pleasure. So we, okay, compersion, jealousy, and pleasure can actually all sit next to each other. Yes. When we're talking about a relationship and we have we want to build a secure relationship. Like we want our attachment to be to a person, whether they are our primary person in a multi-person relationship or whether they are our one and only, we want this sense of security. But as we mature, we also realize that life is real. Separations happen, divorces happen, and deaths happen. Loss is real. Acknowledging that helps us stay in the moment. That can be that can bring its own kind of pleasure. Like we can notice the crispness, the beautifulness of being with our partner. Jealousy can also do that. Mm. Jealousy can be an indicator that we care very much about someone. Mm-hmm. And rather than feeling like I shouldn't have to feel jealous or I shouldn't, or someone's making me feel jealous, we can transition to someone's very important to me and I'm going to practice allowing myself to feel jealous and noticing if I actually feel some compersion too, because they don't act, they're not mutually exclusive. So the use of the word compersion as opposite from jealousy. It seems to so many people polarize them and then say, oh, so it's either, or either I'm a compersive person or I'm a jealous person. Mm-hmm. It's not like that. Jealousy and compersion can sit right next to each other. They are just flip sides of the same coin. Wonderful. That is anybody can do it. (laughs) Anybody can. (laughs) Yeah. Because it feels like this, um, you know, enlightenment that some of us will never achieve. And so I love that you've normalized it 
um, with other analogies that it's not just about um, exploring sex and, and yeah, it totally isn't. It doesn't. Lots of people are not interested in watching their partner make out with someone else. That's <laughs> fine. Monogamy works great for some people. Right. I love my consensually non-monogamous relationship, but I've been monogamous and I've loved it. Mm-hmm. There's there are lots of ways to do love, but lots of people experience a lack of pleasure because they forget to allow their partner to just have their own joy. That doesn't have to be about sex or anything else. Yes. Just allowing space for pleasure and allowing ourselves to be different from our partners. Compersion is a great tool. So I think of it as it's something you add to your toolkit. And when I was practicing my TED speech, I, I gave it over and over and over again. I'm not usually a practice speaker. I just speak from the hip most of the time, mm-hmm. but my children were my audience. So they listened to it so many times. They the very, know the word. <laughs> yeah. So they know the word, but here we were in a life where I thought I'd been teaching that word all the time and they hadn't really heard it. My youngest, he was um, just, he was just 12 at the time. And he said, you know, I really think that this is a good speech thing for you to give because I didn't know what compersion was and I don't know how to be it if I don't know what the word is. Ooh, insight. All right. Yeah, insight in the babies. How would we know happiness if we didn't know sadness? This is a really, you know, a basic analogy. But if you have the word, you at least have something to aim at. You don't have to be perfect. You just aim. And and the practice of it can be pleasurable. Even if you can just aim at like a little bit, you Mm -hmm. can you can bring some pleasure into some places that probably look dark, probably look difficult. Yes. Have yeah. a little, a little yes. And <laughs> yes. And I love that. I love that. Um, and when you talk about it being, I don't know if pleasure revolution also means you feel like it's revolutionary to, to access pleasure. I'm just curious about that. I do. I do. <laughs> um, what made you choose that revolution? Word? Yeah. So I wanted to have people experiment with pleasure because Really, and but and I've heard it. I've heard it already. I like I've been listening to your episodes. There is a recognition. It's it's waking up right now that if we if we can liberate pleasure, we can liberate ourselves from the systems of oppression that are that are holding us against our will. Sometimes we don't even know it. Like we're not even necessarily aware, especially if we hold a lot of privilege. So if I hold a lot of privilege, which I do as, as a white woman who is in a heterosexually looking relationship, I hold a lot of privilege. That doesn't mean that I don't experience any systemic oppressions and where I do tends to be around my sexual pleasure. Um, So I think that liberating pleasure is one of the first steps toward uh, really working for freedom and liberation for everyone. I liberate my pleasure. And I remember that when I'm doing that, I need to also be taking actions to ensure that everyone has access to pleasure the way that I do. It, yes. It's not easy. It means that there's work that goes along with my pleasure. The, the pleasure intentional world. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Adrian Marie Brown. I mean, yes. that is the most powerful work I think possible to take in right now. We're referring to the book called Pleasure Activism. Yeah, yeah. so good. People so necessary. Far beyond um, sex and sexuality and intimacy, Thanks. obviously. And really, um, lately, I've been researching a lot about straight privilege. Um, now that it's I've huge. identified myself as bisexual and in the LGBTQ community, I've really been surprised at how little I was aware mm-hmm. of the extent 
of straight privilege. And, 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 and then what a fascinating dynamic um, for you and I both who are in, you know, from the outset, you know, from the outside, it looks very heteronormative. It just exactly. Right. And yet, and yet we're, um, knowingly and, and willingly and, and desiring to walk into a, a situation of less privilege for some, for, in some situations. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking right now, just socially and with children and, mm-hmm. and how you navigate, uh, um, other parents who may or may not agree with your decisions and how does that, have you found that that translates into um, relationships at school or mm-hmm. having kids' friendships? It, it's a thing. Yeah, it's, a thing. it's a thing. Oh yeah. So when I, <laughs> this is actually a great story. Okay. Um, <laughs> so I was in a, a really normative looking relationship, my first marriage. And I was, I had been out as bisexual since I was, I don't know, born as far as I know, like I never identified as straight. I never even understood okay. it, but nobody really believes you when you keep having boyfriends. Right. And it was the nineties and I never really found a girl who wanted to be out with me. Mm-hmm. And I got engaged really, really young. I was 17. Mm-hmm. So I had this really normal looking life. So then when I blew that all up at 33, because I fell in love with somebody who was married mm-hmm. and they were happy to invite me into a complicated consensually non-monogamous relationship. Mm-hmm. It blew up my life and I lost every single friend, which meant my children lost every single friend. It destroyed everything. And from my perspective, that was it was like losing it was like losing the world and knowing that I had destroyed my children's world. And it was all about who I was sleeping with. Yeah. And I I didn't see it coming. I thought as long as we're talking about love and, and joy, what difference does it make? It turned out it mattered a lot. A lot for some it scared the bejesus out of people. Yeah. It just did. And so it took, well, the better part of a decade to study my way out of that, um, the fear and the panic around being out. So I never actually went back in the closet. I never, I never started saying, okay, wait, no, I'll hide. Cause once again, I wound up married to this big, beautiful man. And nobody cares that he's bisexual. Nobody Mm -hmm. asks, nobody Mm -hmm. cares that I'm bisexual. Nobody asks. So I could hide. Yes. I never went back in the closet, but it brings me pain instead of pleasure to be in that closet where people put me anyways. I feel the, I feel the cupboard doors close on me more often than not. And I'm like, but that's not me. That's, but that's not me. I, I know I have these seven children and I look a certain way, but it's not me and it hurts. So I have to be mindful and I have to think about how I introduce myself as, as this out and complicated woman yes. in ways that doesn't limit my children's lives. And I'll say it's hard because people are close-minded. I don't think that they mean to be, but mm-hmm. it happens and they get scared. People yes. think that consensually non-monogamous means that I'll hit on people inappropriately or mm-hmm. that bisexual means that I find every woman or every femme attractive. It does or non-trustworthy or non-trustworthy or, wishy-washy or all exactly. the things. Yeah. And has it gotten easier as your children are older? You said they're all teens. Yeah. Is that a different dynamic than of course, when they're all in yeah. you know, preschool and I guess everyone, uh, the misconceptions and misunderstandings of people, uh, and just the safety aspects, I suppose. Yeah. There were two things. One, when they were little, 
um, I was like deeply wrapped up in their life, you know, like that's just yeah. how it is when they're little. So yeah, it, it was much, much harder. Yeah. And then there was this, um, this, this strangeness where we were out, our kids knew what was going on, but they don't know. They don't care. No kids don't care what their parents are doing behind closed doors. And to the rest in the, in the rest of their lives, it just looked like parents. They had lots of parents. What's the difference? They didn't, they, they didn't care. It was actually, it's the transition into now they are um, 13 to 21. And somewhere in that like 15 year old zone, they are like, oh, that's what that means. Mm. Oh, okay. So then they have awareness and there are, the nice part is it's lots of conversations. It's conversations about what it means to be whoever you are in our house, conversations around the kind of relationships you have, your orientation, your gender identity, that is just normal stuff around the breakfast table. Absolutely. It's extremely normalized. It's they're, they're fun, playful things. We actually have a joke. One of the kids is like, well, I'm straight. And I keep having to come out to y'all. <laughs> because I keep having to come out as straight. Exactly. Because he's, he's like, but everybody else seems to have other interests. And he's like, but I don't, I mean, I think I'll just like girls. And I'm like, yeah, that's you. And, and, and he's here for it. He's, he's like, I'll, I'll keep doing it because, okay. And it's so funny to me that this is, that people get worried about what kids see when what, what I, the evidence I have is that by modeling my own liberation from that fear, from the fear that people would judge me, they feel freer to be themselves, to own their, their identities. And the thing is their, their identities are fluid. They're not fixed. They come out, they go back in, they choose something else. They make it doesn't matter, but they know that I've had a variety of experiences and that they can just have their experience and they don't actually have to announce it. They don't, they can just have it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so yeah, I have found it to be nothing but positive inside our house, outside our house. Sometimes I feel sad. I've had kids say, well, your mom cheats on your, on your stepfather. Mm. And my kids will be like, that's not really how that's not, there's, uh, that's not what that means. And how much do they want to explain and that is hard. It, it can feel confusing for them. And that's just about education. You know, my kids were also homeschooled before it was cool. Um, <laughs> and I used to have to have them explain to people like, it's okay to say, I don't really have a grade because that's not how we do things, but they get their feelings hurt. People would allow their kids to, to believe that something was different about homeschoolers. And I'm thinking like, what's more boring than homeschooling? It's not a big deal, but we like our safety and our safety comes often from imagining that the world is definable and knowable Yes. when we can let in the fact that it isn't. Mm. I mean, that's, that's the access to deep pleasure. It doesn't mm. have to be definable. It doesn't have to be knowable. Mm. We can just experience the world as it is complex, mm. multiple, <laughs> interesting, and yeah. a little, a little edgy because we don't really know. I didn't know about non-monogamy until I was in it. And then I was like, <laughs> oh, I'm in love. I, <laughs> what are you going to do? <laughs> right. Is there a name for this? Um, yeah, and you mentioned exactly. that, that you and your husband identify as bisexual. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Or pan. I mean, depending mm -hmm. on the moment, whichever. It, it okay. use them interchangeably. This podcast is sponsored by Krista Hoppala sexologist and consciousness guide. I am proud to say that Krista is my own personal sexologist, the woman I turn to when I need to refresh my own pleasure practices. 
I highly recommend her to my clients and friends. Her website is kristahopala.com. That's K-R-I-S-T-A-H-A-A-P-A-L-A.com. Lots of A's, or as I say, lots of ahs. It's all pleasure with this woman. Check her out. Yeah. And I love that you're just bringing up the idea that it, it is okay to be fluid. It is okay to change your mind. If yeah. you identify differently tomorrow than you do today, it is fine. I have no evidence to back up my claim of being bisexual. I still have a deep knowing. You and know so, yes. And so there's the questions I receive are um, interesting and I understand where they're coming from, where the confusion is, but I love the winds you're talking about <laughs> within the house with yes. the kids. Uh, yesterday, a friend brought me an Etch-a-Sketch because I was talking about like returning to pleasure of childhood toys and like the things that brought me pleasure as a child. Can I recreate those and come back to those as an adult? So, so sweetly, she went and bought me an Etch-a-Sketch. So that. I immediately, <laughs> I immediately drew a very detailed vulva and of course. Yeah, that's what you do. As you do. <laughs> as you do. And my 13-year-old who's sick was sitting right next to me on the couch as he does. Sure. And I'm drawing the vulva and he goes, what are you drawing? And I said, a vulva. And of course he's like, oh, cool. Like, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Oh, gotcha. um, of all the things you draw on gotcha. edge gets really no eye rolls, nothing. So he's looking at it and he's asking about fascinating, like asking about it. And we started talking about pubic hair. We started talking about like his pubic hair because he's going yeah. through we started having this conversation and then and then he goes you know it really just looks like the underside of a turtle and that was my poor drawing skills I mean on an etch-a-sketch I could kind of see it (laughs) but but I love sneaking in these Hmm. conversations within my home to just normalize our body parts. So at the end of the conversation, he goes, why do people get so hung up on, you know, genitals? It's just the same. It's like your vulva is the same as my elbow. And I'm like, yes, it is. Your exactly. my vulva is the same as your elbow. Exactly. And, uh, oh boy, those are the, those are the moments. And then like you're saying, we step out of our house mm-hmm. and immediately, um, I want to be truthful and authentic and maintain that, that sense of, um, we can talk about all those, you know, seemingly difficult taboo things. And then how do you navigate when it is safe for you or your child to, Mm -hmm. to be so transparent and, and brave and vulnerable? Um, so we're still very much muddling through that. So it's really fascinating and helpful for me. And I'm sure many of my listeners to hear how you navigate it now it's evolved over time. Yeah. As children it's, it's a courageous act mm-hmm. to, to, to engage in comprehensive sexuality education as a normative practice in your home. Mm-hmm. That is a courageous act. Mm-hmm. Like kudos to you, kudos to your listeners who are doing it. And if you're not, remember that that thing called the talk is is a zillion comments. It's not a yeah. talk. It's a it's a hundred million little comments that are going to be had. And if you if you feel like you haven't been doing it so far, that's fine. You could change that in the next fifteen minutes by simply casually talking about something in an easeful way. That's all. Mm. Just that simple. And and then just allowing that to to become more and more typical in your house. We get so caught up on what is normal that we forget right. that we're creating the norms. So it sounds like you have been doing a great job of just like, no, I'm just, we're just renorming in here. It's, yes. Well, I was 
I was raised, well, I was raised to believe I shouldn't ever talk about this, uh, anything related to uh, sex or pleasure. And then with my uh, first two who are now adults, my first two kids, it was really like, we'll talk about this stuff in the car while they're not looking at you and yes. looking straight ahead. And unless they literally jump out of the car, you're kind of stuck in the container yeah. and you can have a little <laughs> sex talk. Yep. But now, first of all, I don't drive anywhere. I don't even know what side of the car my gas tank is on because I haven't left the house in so long. But the conversations need to be happening now at the dinner table or face-to-face in the home, which is one of the many blessings, Mm -hmm. hidden blessings of COVID. Like we're getting to know each other and, and I am interrupted. I don't know about you in the bathroom or the shower more than ever. And I'm just like, okay, I guess, I guess I'm just going to see you and you're going to see me. And that's the way it's going to be. How it is. We live in a house. Somebody said the other day, they're like, how do you live in a house with so many teenagers? I'm like, we have a sign goes on the outside of the door, private, don't knock. Like, it's fine. It's fine. There's no, it's, um, we have forgotten that we actually get to be whole people and we try to be like, like fictionalized parent characters. Mm. We can't do that. We have to be our whole people. Yes. There's privacy and then there's secrecy. Privacy is great. Secrecy, eh. I, I've only seen that go to dark places. I've never seen secrecy help anyone. Privacy though, establishing that, that's key. Yes. I, I talk a lot about that holding secrets in our body um, and often wrapped mm. up in shame. Um, you mentioned how it was how it was hurting you to hold it in. Totally. And um, as it is for me, it was coming out as chronic pain and illness. Mm and inflammation. And, and I haven't actually mentioned this publicly yet because I haven't figured out, well, here I am talking about it. (laughs) Um, But this week I haven't released weight and that hasn't been a focus of mine in years. It's been stubborn. It's been like on me, like, like inflammation. And this week without changing anything other than my book being published, I released five pounds and I have absolutely no doubt that I am releasing shame yeah. and that the shame for me was, um, inflammation and, and indigestion and constipation, yep. um, and You're holding, you know, holding, everything, holding, holding, holding it in. Exactly. Yeah. So I was just like, this is tangible. Yeah. So- <laughs> I, you know, I, I struggle. I I'm all, I was a, I was a fitness trainer. I owned a CrossFit gym. I did the whole thing. I was in, you know, excellent, spectacular shape. The hiding was, it, it meant it, the hiding combined with grief meant 60 pounds went on and it stayed stubbornly stuck. And, and I didn't, I haven't changed really anything either. And yeah, when I came out of hiding this last fall, um, I love health at every size has worked really, really well for me. Yes. I, I have been, you know, able to do pull-ups and how, and do a great run at my heaviest or my lightest. It doesn't matter, but, but that shame releasing in the fall. And it was, it was in co- coincidence when I released my book and I started being present. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. I think like 30 pounds fell off and I, 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 I don't care. I wasn't in it. I I've actually never talked about that publicly. I don't talk about because I really, really believe that fat is just a body to be in. That's that's yeah. totally like it's whatever. Yeah. 
and, and it didn't cause me harm. I actually had somebody mention that they were sad for me that I'd done my TEDx at my heaviest weight. And I was like, why? I felt great. Right. Like what a thing to say. I felt I, I did do a post where I was 170 something for the first time. And I was like, interesting. Like I looked down at the number, like my, my, um, conditioning was like, Oh shit, that's a different number. That's um, different. That's new. And, and then I paused and I'm like, wait a minute, but I'm feeling more whole than I ever have. I'm feeling more well than I ever have. Yeah. Um, I'm feeling more safe in my body and at peace with my body. It, it doesn't, it didn't matter. And I was like, oh, 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 I'm, I'm growing. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm evolving. Yeah. It was like yeah. this wonderful moment. Um, and, and it's also an interesting, when I looked down today and saw I had released five pounds, I didn't even notice because I was so wrapped up in my, um, in my pleasure and the non-pleasure of life that mm-hmm. it doesn't, that it didn't matter. Um, but how fascinating it was to me to realize that my body um, is, is listening and, and responding. Yeah. Um, yeah I, you said I, shame. And I was like, you know, all of the work where I'm about to record an episode on sexual shame with my wow. husband for project Good. relationship. And Good. because I think that's it, it's, there's so much shame and so much of it is just stuff we're, we're picking up and carrying for other people. I, I pick up other people's shame like Velcro. And mm-hmm. so I have to be mindful of, of allowing myself to enjoy the body I'm in with regardless of what other people think of it. It's Um, this, this is going to sound like a crazy question, but, but you're in, you're into that, right? Yeah. So a lot of um, women I know who are in heteronormative relationships who are, um, who have never had a female partner, but they're excited to try one day, Mm -hmm. have a sense that they'll finally feel um, at peace with their body because they're finally with a partner who understands um, menopause and, and, and changing and cellulite and all the things. And, and then there's this expectation that it's also going to be, you know, nights cuddled up under fuzzy blankets, talking all night and, and loveliness. And, um, can you normalize that a little bit for (laughs) us? I can speak to, I can speak to it because, so I was, I definitely fit into that camp because there, for a long time. So I had, I had dated some in high school, but it was the nineties and like, I don't know, nobody was really talking about being out much. So I went a long time being in a monogamous relationship with somebody who didn't appreciate my body and who didn't get it. I he didn't try not to, I think he just didn't get it. So I had all that internalized shame mm-hmm. of just being in a body that changed. I had four babies in seven years and yeah, it, it being in a body that changes and I did imagine that the experience of, ex- of being with a woman and being witnessed by her would change that. And I would say that it, that actually went two ways. One, yes, there is something genuinely um, gratifying and opening something like cracked open in me that had been shielded something I had intentionally shielded, whether I knew it or not, when I was finally able to be witnessed by a woman as a sensual being, that was very important. And my partner is this big cisgender 
heterosexual looking from the outside guy and who Mm -hmm. had been conditioned that way. He didn't come out till he was in his late forties as bisexual, like late forties, um, had been conditioned that way. It's actually been his witnessing and consistent reminders that he recognizes that bodies change. We're in changing bodies and just like literally every single day, that reminder that allowed me to finally be in my body in a good way in this healthy, yummy, I mean, healthy, like for my soul, like I feel good. I love it. Like I love my roles now and I love my curves and I like accept my, and and so what I needed was another, I'm not sure it didn't matter what their gender was. So I had, I had romanticized the idea that it would be a woman or a femme who would bring me that. But instead, it's this big, hairy guy um, who happens to have strong feminine energy and who most of all just really he's just very, very present to, yeah, your body changes. It's this is a body. It's beautiful. It's it's beautiful in all the ways. And that consistent messaging, you know, when we have shame, it's not enough to hear something once. It's not enough to read a meme on Instagram. We our attachment figure. Mm-hmm. I have transferred my attachment to my primary partner. This is, mm-hmm. this is a healthy thing for me. My attachment figure can shine this floodlight of mm-hmm. joy all over my pain and my shame. And, and, exp- and it's scary to have your shame exposed, but he sh- floods me with this acceptance. And by doing that with all these little messages, eventually, and I mean years, I heard it in my, in my center. And it's been a huge gift, whether that gift comes from a person in a feminine body or masculine body, um, whether that gift comes from you doing deep inner work and maybe some active imagination, some journeying, whatever, whatever works for you. Yes. That releasing of the shame to allow yourself to be in a a changing body. Oh, I am. Oh, I, it, it sounds marvelous. And I'm literally witnessing myself walk through the path of listening to jealousy, <laughs> desire, compersion. I'm like, here I am. I'm yeah. doing it right now. And um, it sounds beautiful. And, and it's, it's a beautiful thing to witness you and your partner on your podcast. I love that you videotape them. Um, and I love that they're, you know, real and um, non-polished all the time. Um, and it's, oh, it's, it, it's like what it's what I would want is a is a partner that could be so present um, to these difficult uh, conversations. Um, And what is that experience like? Um, Not just having a relationship like that, but also being out in in publicly. Yeah, publicly. And, and are there times where he's not really in the mood to share vulnerably. And you're like, we're doing a podcast. We're, we're on, let's go. And you walk outside, you go to the grocery store. Yeah. Like, how does that, how is that? How do you both experience that? I guess I sometimes call it a vulnerability hangover. Oh, you totally. Know, we just shared. No, we maybe overshared. I don't know. What right, who knows? Who knows who's listening? This is so public. <laughs> That's the, it's the beauty and the terror of the podcast, right? Yeah. We have no idea. It's just out there in the world. Claire. So we are as, different as could possibly be. On a Myers-Briggs, I am an ENTJ and he is an ISFP. (laughs) We are as different as possible. He was raised in an incredibly like never talk about anything. This is like you have if you like a sex life, let's like an entirely personal thing. I was raised in a very frank, open and very sarcastic household. Mm. So there was a lot like there's like beauty in that openness, but there's also a cutting edge, right? 
So we just come from such different backgrounds that, yeah, we really do experience it very differently. And he's been practicing with me now for a dozen years. I've known him actually for my whole life. He was a family friend. So he, the first time he met me, I would have been, you know, a few months old. Oh my um, goodness. Yeah. Yeah. He, yeah. Just, it's, it's a strange story. We, we've actually lived, we've circled around each other for years. And then one day, all of a sudden this numinous experience and we fell in love and it was overwhelming and it, it broke a lot of things, but, um, but he has experienced this, this drawing out, this, this, pull towards, you know what, if we share, things change. And first it was him sharing with me. And so there were years of him just learning how to share his actual feelings with me Mm -hmm. and then learning how to share his actual feelings with his children, learning how to share them in men's groups, you know, go showing up at at the Mankind Project or every man and just learning how to share those things. And I think it has not culminated because we're not done by any means, but it has brought us to a place where this past fall when I said, you know, I think I'm going to start the podcast and it would just be really fun to talk to you. We want in. He thought about it for a few minutes. He was like, yes, that sounds terrifying. (laughs) (laughs) It's that it's having moved slowly into a spot where he was like, yeah, that's really, really uncomfortable. And Mm. I think that's where the work is for me. Mm -hmm. It's not just Mm -hmm. in, I I'm all for inner work. I mean, I, I'm, I'm literally a depth psychologist. So inner work, doing the work, you know, Jungian work of going into the inner world, working with archetypal figures, working with the dreams, that matters to me. But I'm a strange Jungian in that I really believe that our relationships are the absolute best alchemical vessel for mm-hmm. actually making our change, right? Like bringing all the stuff from our inner world into the outer world. It's... Mm-hmm. Most of us don't want to be hermits. Most of us don't want to just do the deep dive and stay in that, that alone, maybe enlightened, but that deeply alone and detached place. Most of us want to be in relation to others, if yeah. nothing else to our children and our partners, right? I, I a, a yeah. universal need of being seen, heard, and known. Right. Somebody. Somebody. Oh and it's, it can look different for everyone. I like to connect to a lot of people. Yes. My part, my anchor partner tends to be more of a, a, just, you know, one or two people, you know, I mean, we have seven kids that can be a challenge all by itself. <laughs> That's a lot of people to be paying attention to. Um, but the, the process of, of becoming willing to be witnessed, mm-hmm. you know, so he's 10 years older than I am. So he's, he'll, he'll turn 54 this week. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like watching that over the last decade, I'm like, oh, this is the growing up, the growing up that people think happens in your 20s. And it's not that he was late to the party. I mean, he was on time for himself. Absolutely. This growing up, being able to show up and be witnessed and part of the conversation. And I would love to have any men who want to join that conversation. Anybody who identifies as male, who's like, this is hard because the conditioning says, if I'm going to be a man, I have to do it different. Eh you can yes and that. <laughs> Absolutely. And so for people out there um, who have a partner who want to listen to the podcast, do you, do you think it would uh, make sense to listen to the podcast together? Like, what do you, what do you picture? Like if you're, it was your I- ideal situation, like, do you imagine like a couple in bed just snuggling up and, and watching your podcast and then having a so, deep discussion ever after that'd be fantastic. Yeah. We had the intention 
right up front to make these short. So each one is 30 minutes or less. And we wanted to do that so that people could consume them together. So sometimes I've heard from a couple of people, they like, they'll pop their earbuds in and be like on a walk. And so they're listening to it together separately. And then, and then like, so, you know, 30 minutes into their walk, they take their earbuds out and they're like, okay, what the heck was all of that about? But now you're out for a walk and you have some processing time together. And you know what? I fully invite anyone who's like, they are crazy. There is just no way I would do that. That's great. That's fine. Cause you're on your path. We just wanted to model what it looks like for one particular couple. This relationship doesn't even look like my other relationships have right. looked. Exactly. It's just one example. And it's, we're willing to be vulnerable so that people can try it on for size. See what it feels like to talk about the topics we're talking about. We're um, coming up on, on February 14th. We're going to release an episode on sexual fantasy that, I'm like, yeah, we're just going to talk about what it's like to really share your sexual fantasies. And that's not easy to do publicly. But when we do, something Mm -hmm. shifts, something, something all of a sudden, like can click into place where you're like, that's, that's actually more real in some ways than this outer world, this, this supposedly objective world is real in one way, but my imagination is real and present for me in another whole way. So inviting someone into that is, I think, the most profound sharing we've ever done. It's mm-hmm. it passed even our physical mm-hmm. sharing. You know, we mm-hmm. love for me is defined by like inviting someone into my inner world mm-hmm. and then being willing to travel into theirs. Yes. That imaginal realm is it can be overwhelming and exciting and it can be scary. But in there is the magic of the, the transformational, the individuating partnership, the, mm-hmm. the people who are walking a path together of growth. I dedicated my book to my partner because he's more interested in growth than comfort. And that's what matters to me. Like, Beautiful. It's not always pretty. Plenty of the time it's messy. More interested in growth than comfort. Yeah. yeah. Compersion. <laughs> I highly recommend anybody to watch your podcast, the conversations you have on your Facebook lives, um, read your book, get your um, pleasure revolution um, ebook um, and just follow you <laughs> on all the places. So you're going to have to let us know the yeah. I guess, best place. How it's do so- people find you? It's easy to find me on my website. It's joliehamilton.com, J-O-L-I, and then Hamilton, like the musical, nice and easy. And then you can find me on Insta or Clubhouse. I'm do- I'm Dr. Jolie underscore Hamilton. Okay. And yeah, the you can download the Pleasure Experiment ebook for free. I also have other free resources available on there, depending on where you are in your relationship. I have a bunch of things. And yeah, you can always get in touch with me through my website. Beautiful. You are a wealth of knowledge, a complete pleasure to talk to. Thank you. I'm sure we're going to continue talking and seeing each other. Thank you so much. This was wonderful. Thanks for having me, Pasha. Thank you. And for all of you listeners out there, please, if you want to continue this conversation with me or reach out to me, feel free to email me at Pasha at PashaMarlo.com or visit my website, PashaMarlo.com or Facebook or Instagram or Clubhouse. Pasha Marlowe. Keep it simple. Yes. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening or watching if you're catching it on YouTube. And thank you again, Dr. Jolie Hamilton, for your 
time, energy, expertise, kindness, and vulnerability. Thank you.